Steve and team. I love being in the house of God with God's people and worshiping him. It's just fantastic. And uh, it is a privilege to be able to do so with other brothers and sisters. And so uh, thank you, Steve. Thank you for leading us in worship today. Let's just pray. Father God, we need a fresh word from you. We need to hear from you. Lord, I, I know that there's people here today who are suffering terribly at the point where it's more than what they think they can bear. But Lord, you promised that you will never allow us to be in that place. You, will, you always give us a way of hope and help out of that situation. Lord, I pray you would help us to do that today. Lord, I pray that my words would be clear. I pray that they would be convicting. Lord, I pray that they would be Christ-centered, cross-focused, Lord. I pray that these words would be exalting to you in every way. So, Lord, I pray that you would keep the evil one away, any distractions, our own flesh, our own thoughts, and our own hearts, Lord. I pray that our minds would be fully focused on you. And we pray this in the powerful and strong name of Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. Well, today is, is Labor Day, or actually tomorrow's Labor Day, but this is our Labor Day weekend, and it's a, it's a great time to just stop and pause and, and think about our work and think about our employment. And I think that this year it's taken on a whole other level of appreciation, appreciating work, hasn't it? The fact that many of us have had our job at risk, maybe some of us have even lost our job. And so we, have, we appreciate it, and we probably used to think, oh, this is the drudgery of getting up every day and trying to get to work, and then all of a sudden, it's not there anymore. You're like, wow, I wish I could go back to that stage. God, is, um, God wants us to understand the importance of our workplaces, and I want to say today that the most important things in life kind of have become clear, haven't they? The voices that we listen to, the, the uh, distractions, the, the, the things that maybe we thought were so important have kind of taken a back seat. This summer I've tried to focus in on say that there's only a few things that last. In fact, one thing that really lasts, and that's our relationships, and that work alone doesn't profit, but really love does. Most of you understand that the most valued employees and the most valued students are ones who are really good at relationships. This is true in the sales world where you know that unless you can really trust that salesperson is telling you the truth, you won't buy from them. You know, that's true with your managers. If you have an understanding that that manager is going to put you before even sometimes the policy or procedure, you have greater esteem for that manager. Even on the assembly line, I've been talking to some of you, and you know that you've experienced that if a boss is, is one of those driven taskmasters and just cares so much about the production... Maybe you're responsible to go into Calvin mode, to, uh, to just say, you know what, we're only going to just work to rule for this shift. 
See, softer skills in life, it's these, these relationships, these, this love that we have for one another that really gets us further along. This past, uh, this past summer, Lori and I learned this. We were um, on vacation, and we were driving through Michigan. And I know that um, in Indiana has a lot cheaper gas as you go through Michigan all the way down to Kansas, where we were visiting Lori's family. And... Um, you know, I, I kind of have a little contest with, my, with myself on these long trips, and I say, i got to be able to get to that next spot to find the cheapest gas. So we're, we're driving through Michigan, and um, I notice that the uh, fuel gauge is getting lower and lower. But I know I can make it to Michigan. I know I can make it to Indiana. Do you know what I'm talking about, guys? Okay. And um, I learned early on in my marriage that um, this is not something that Lori really wants to be involved in. It's not an experience that she really enjoys. Um, because I, I think we did run out of gas one time. And so, you know, I'm learning just to take things directly to God. And so I decided, I'm just going to pray, Lord. Um, you know that the fuel gauge is going down, but you know that that gas is there. And I'm trying to be a good, wise steward of your money. And let's not, you know, let's not worry Lori right now. She's sleeping. So let's just keep going and and, you know, the, the line, the lights come on, right? The gas lights come on. And it's hitting almost red. And I'm like, okay, I know I can make it, you know, just another 20 miles. Just 20 miles. We can do it. And uh, finally, welcome to Indiana sign pops up. And I'm like, okay, just five more miles. Just five more miles. And um, finally I make it to the exit. But as I'm, I'm making up the exit, you know, I'm putting the gas in. It's not giving much juice. You know, you're like, not much longer. And I turn off the exit, and then Lori hears a scream, and I'm like, where's the gas station? I thought for sure it was right there. And um, I, I quickly look at the, the, our GPS, and the GPS says the gas station is another three miles down the road. And so, uh, you know, I'm like, Lord, please, please, please. By this time, I did let Lori share this burden with me. And, <laughs> and, um, and, and so uh, we're praying, and... Finally, I pull into the gas station. We made it. And um, got a little bit of gas. And I thought, let's just celebrate God's goodness. And there's a McDonald's right uh, across the road. And so uh, I get a sweet tea. And if you know what sweet teas are, they this like iced tea, but it's got a lot of sugar. And I really like this stuff. And so uh, I'm like, I know I've caused a lot of stress in your life, Lori, this, uh, these last few minutes. And... Um, how about this? I'll take all the boys into the restroom, and you can just worry about Jesse, and uh, I'll meet you back out here, and we'll get a little something, and get some sweet tea. And So um, I do that, and uh, we get back in the car, and it's about half an hour later, and we stop at another gas station, because I know that that's cheaper gas, okay? <laughs> and uh, the Flying J there in, in Indiana on exit 9, and... Um, uh, Lori's like, okay, a loop needs to be changed, his diaper, uh, where's the diaper bag? And I'm like, well, don't you have it? I'm like, no, it's uh, back at the McDonald's, back there, <laughs> half an hour away. So I'm like, how important is that diaper bag? And she's like, well, and I'm like, okay, well, that means it's important. And so um, I start to get on the exit ramp, go back east, and... Uh, by this time, all the Chicago traffic, it's rush hour, it's traffic, Chicago traffic is going east. And it's this piles up. Like, it's going to take us two hours to go get that diaper bag. So 
So we uh, say, well, let's go on. Let's keep driving. We'll have to maybe buy another diaper bag. And I'm like, I'm not letting this go. This is my mistake. I'm responsible. So I think, how can I fix this? So I'm like, oh, I know what I could do. I could jump on the internet and I could find the McDonald's, uh, you know, website, and then I could find the restaurant locator. I'll call the McDonald's, see if they still have the diaper bag. So that's what we do. We end up pulling over. We find a free public access um, wireless site, and, and uh, I'm, I, I get the, the number of the, the McDonald's, and I, I call, and I say, you know, here's our diaper bag. I describe it. It's black, and we go look, and they're like, hey, we found it. Okay. I said, now, we're going to be back in one week. So can you just hang on to that? Okay. <laughs> And so, so uh, you know, we have a good time down in Kansas, not without a lot of diapers, but, um, and uh, come back, and I'm driving, and it always takes longer than I think, always takes longer with four little kids. And we get there into Indiana at the exit, and it's 1.30 in the morning, and we're praying, we're like, oh, Lord, please let this be one of those 24-hour drive through McDonald's, because we don't want to camp out overnight. So we get to McDonald's, and we look, and it's all lit up, 24-hour drive through and I order another sweet tea. And um, I say, hey, yeah, we're the family who you left a diaper bag. Do you remember us? Like, oh, yeah, we heard about that. And uh, so the manager goes and looks for the diaper bag, can't find the diaper bag at all. Okay? And we're like, what do we do? Do we camp out overnight here and wait till the morning to see if we can go in and look? They're like, oh, you know. So we go on, and they say, well, try calling us back. So... We try calling them back, and they're like, guess what we found and then lost and found? We just didn't see it. And so, uh, you know, the, the manager, you know, he's like, ah, this is not against the regular policy to mail things. We're like, we'll pay you back and everything, you know. And, and um, anyways, after three weeks of calls, this past Tuesday, we finally got our diaper bag back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But it wasn't until this manager by the name of Shannon decided to say, I'm going to take matters in my own hands, just a shift manager, and she mailed that on her own accord, probably at her own expense. I thought, you know, what's the difference between Shannon and all the rest of, you know, those others who are trying to help us? Took the extra step. Those softer skills, those, those relationships are so important in the business world, aren't they? They're hard to obtain. They're even more rare as we notice them. That's why people stand out, don't they? Have you seen that in your business business experiences, in your marketplace, in schools, neighborhoods? The people who have those softer skills, the EQ, as someone has said, the emotional intelligence. I know in my life that um, I need to continue to work on this. And I'm, I'm guessing that all in this room continue to need to work on this and And yet there's these internal obstacles that we have to overcome to demonstrate the most important virtues in our life. Listen to what St. John of the Cross wrote 500 years ago. was the the seven deadly spiritual imperfections that must be purified. They kind of could be like your spiritual prospectus. I've listed them in your bulletin. You can take a look at them and wall over them. Think of them as your spiritual perspective. You can look and say, okay, you know, this is what I've been investing my time in. Is it depreciated or appreciated? Has it increased? Have I seen more profit in my life because of this? Let's take a look at them. First of all, why don't you ask yourself, are there any of these traits causing losses in your relationship or in your spiritual growth? Pride. 
is number one. The way St. John of the Cross defines pride is that the tendency to condemn others and become impatient with their faults. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands today about that, but I bet a lot of us feel that way. We, we condemn others and we become impatient with their faults. We think, I just wish that they would measure up. Why can't they do this? You have these expectations you place on others, and very frustrating. The proud are also very selective in who can teach them. Um, if a person's younger, maybe it's even a child, they, uh, they might not be willing to listen to them. Maybe it's, maybe it's an older person. They think they're way past their prime. They can't teach me anything. Maybe it's um, just a, a non-believer. A person who just gives you a nugget of truth but doesn't claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet, God's speaking through them. These last three weeks, we've talked about Balaam on Sunday nights. And God could use a, a donkey in Balaam's life. He can use other people in your life to speak truth to you. Or maybe you aren't willing to uh, take advice from what I would call a non-traditional follower of Jesus Christ. Like, well, Brian Head Welsh. See this guy up here? In the corner there, Brian Head Welsh? Here's a book that I've picked up. It's called Save Me From Myself. How I Found God, Quit Corn. Now, if you don't know what corn is, talk to some of your uh, young people here. Kick Drugs and Live to Tell My Story. Save Me From Myself, Brian Head Welsh. What can we learn from somebody like this who's, who's gone to the, the point of, of, of just tasting everything this world has to author, uh, um, to, to appreciate in this world, whether it's sex or drugs or all these things, and saying, there's only one thing that satisfies, Jesus. Are you willing to learn from those type of people? They might look a lot different than what you expect. So it's pride. How about avarice? Avarice is a discontentment with the spirituality God gives them. This is one that I had to just write out beside because they never have enough learning. There's always more books to read rather than growing in poverty of spirit and in the interior life. They're never satisfied saying, I, I look at others and they have something that I don't have. Now maybe some of you today, honestly, you've never given your life to Jesus and maybe... That's a whole other category. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to say, yeah, they do have something that I have, that I don't have, and I need to, I need to surrender finally in my life to Christ. But this other area of avarice is never being satisfied, never having contentment in your life. Maybe a third area is luxury. That's taking more pleasure in the spiritual blessing of God than in God himself. You know, it, it could be, wow, God, that was, a, that was a great worship experience. Pastor Steve, thank you so much. It's fantastic. Or, man, that was a great prayer time. Or, I really loved what God, God taught me through his word. Like, you know, thanks to that Bible teacher. This is outstanding. That Sunday school class, that small group, it was fantastic. But you missed out on God himself. You got it caught up in the things of God and not in God himself. That's what you call luxury, or what St. John of the Cross calls luxury. Fourthly, maybe it's, it's wrath. Wrath. That's being easily irritable. 
lacking sweetness and having little patience to wait on God. Instead, you run ahead and say, hey, God, catch up. Bless me after, after I, I've done this action. Instead, those who are wrathful usually take matters into their own hands. They don't wait on God. They don't let God, as we heard this summer, get in between, between us and our problems. Fifthly, spiritual gluttony. That's the uh, tendency to resist the cross and choose pleasures like little children do. Jesus made it pretty clear when he said, take up your cross daily. Deny yourself and follow me. That way Jesus is saying, you need to expect suffering. You need to expect trouble and travail every day. Are you running from it? Spiritual envy is the next category. That's feeling unhappy when others do well spiritually. You look over and say, wow, you know, God's really blessing their ministry. That's, that's an amazing thing they're doing. What about me, God? Why can't I be blessed? And there's this envy of, of others. The envious never stop comparing themselves to others. They say, look, that person's better. That person's a lot better. Has more success. Seventh area, sloth. Sloth is having serious risk aversion, like these guys. And from run from that which is hard. Their aim is spiritual sweetness and good feelings. The slothful ignore the call to stand up for injustice. Listen to what John Christosom, preacher probably 1,700 years ago, who wrote this. He says this, He who is not angry, whereas he has cause to be, sins. There are things that we should be angry about. There are injustice in this world. There are, there are little children being murdered today through abortion. There's, there's people being destroyed by drugs, by prostitution, by, by homes being wrecked. We should be angry about these things. They should cause us to get out of our Canadian kind of politeness and say, we've got to stand up for injustice. So, I don't know, are any of those hitting home with you? Sure hit home with me. In contrast, there's, there's three lasting virtues that we really need to invest in that overcome these things. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. And as you follow along in, in God's word, just one verse tonight that we want us to focus in on. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. And I'm going to ask that we actually put this up on the, the screen, this verse, and, and we're going to memorize it as a, as a congregation together. I'm going to read it first here. You can follow along in your copy. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's read it all together on the screen. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Want to do it one more time? But now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Can we do it without the screen? Let's try it. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's take pause. Think about that. 
three may remain, faith, hope, and love. Then it says, but the greatest of these is love. Now, I've been thinking all week, why is love the greatest? Aren't we pastors always teaching you that you need more faith? You need more hope? Don't you need more faith and more hope in, in those situations that are so difficult and you're wondering about your job and whether you're going to lose it or you're wondering about this situation that, that just seems insurmountable? I mean, trust and faith is very important. How many of your relationships really work without, without trust? Parents, does it, does it work in your relationship with your children if you don't trust them? Let's say one of them breaks curfew and they said they'd be home by a certain time, but they broke curfew. Maybe it was last night, I don't know. Do you feel like trusting them? Is their relationship problems because of that broken trust? Absolutely. Children, maybe you don't trust your parents because... They're always prying into your business and they're exasperating you and they're, they, care, they care about you but they're essentially maybe overstepping that privacy that, that they, they, they maybe should give you. I don't know. The trust is broken. What about husbands and wives? You know, trust is really important there. Maybe you've got to a place in your relationship, in your marriage, where you, know, you no longer um, can say, I, I really think this person's got my best interest at heart. And you think that actually they're, they're out to do you damage. Maybe they're not meeting up to those expectations you have. Trust has been broken. Maybe it's neighbor to neighbor. You know, maybe you've been so frustrated with, with a neighbor in your life who's playing loud music all the time and you know, leaves, leaves their place looking junky and the home property values are going down or you're starting to think, I can't trust them with this person. Maybe they've actually hurt you relationally. Maybe they've gossiped about you in the neighborhood. Maybe you're at the point where you're like, okay, I'm putting up a fence emotionally and maybe even a physical fence. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe you're like, I can't trust this person because I know that they are going to get the promotion. I know that they're going to, to stab me in the back. I can't trust them. Maybe it's a business partner. And, and it's really tenuous right now, being able to trust them with this deal. Trust is really important, isn't it? It affects all of our life. Hope. Hope's important. How many of you would get up to work if you had no hope of getting a paycheck, you weren't going to get paid. How many of you would get up for work if you knew that that deal, that very important deal worth a lot of money, would never get done? Would you still go to work? No, you continue to go to work because you have hope that you'll succeed. How many of you would get up for work if you had no hope of Meeting your targets and your objectives. Isn't that what Proverbs says? In Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you're not able to reach that target and that goal, it makes you lose hope and you want to give up. But today I want to say that hope and trust are very important. 
but you really wouldn't have trust and hope if you think about it, unless you had love. Will you trust somebody you don't love? Not very much. Not very much. Now, as I said, I had four little children. I'm not going to trust those four little children just to anybody. They're entrusted to people that I love. And then I know who love me and who love those little children. The more I love somebody, the more you love somebody, the more you'll trust them with your most valuable possessions. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Will you hope? Will you hope if you've given up on love? I don't think so. In fact, that's why most people get divorced. When one or two of the partners decides love will not persevere. That there is no preferred future. There isn't going to be better in the future. So we just need to cut our losses right now. It comes down to love. Even when bringing my kids from the hospital, each one of them, those little babies, when, when they came into this world, I, my first thought was not, really, I hope that they're good, or I believe they're going to be good. My first thought was, man, I can't believe how much I love this little baby. It's love first, isn't it? It's love first. It's greater. It's greater than faith. It's greater than hope. Makes logical sense, but there's even two more reasons from the Bible, from Scripture, that why love is greater than faith and hope. First of all, love is greater than faith and hope because only love will last in heaven. You ever thought about that? Only love will last in heaven. In verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is what Paul says. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. When we get to heaven and we stand before Jesus, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we'll no longer need faith because our faith will become sight, won't it? We'll see Jesus. We'll be able to declare, he's good, he's awesome. However, the love will continue to last, won't it? Same with hope. We will no longer need hope because the last part of verse 12 says, And now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. Knowledge, being able to, to fully know something, eliminates the need for hope. You know this to be true. It's going to happen. And so we understand that love is greater than faith and hope because only love will last for all eternity. Second of all, more importantly, love is greater because love is the initial motivator of God's saving work in us. Think about that for a second. When God created human beings, he didn't look down on us and say, man, I just believe in that John Stairs. You know, I just believe he's going to meet his full potential. He's just out there on his own. I just believe in him. No. He had no faith in me. God didn't have any faith in me. He didn't have any hope that one day I was going to finally be able to fix myself. What motivated him, what brought about change, what brought about this great redemptive plan in our lives, what brought him to the cross and sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, was love. Isn't that what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5? He didn't look into the future and say, Oh, John, you know, finally he's going he's to follow me. 
It says, in love, he predestined us as adopted sons in Christ Jesus. It's because of his love, because he loved us. He loved us. It's only God's love that got us out of our hell-bound position by sending his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins. In fact, we could say that without God's love, there would be no need for faith and no need for hope. It wouldn't last. And so, if you want to write this down, I think this kind of summarizes it all today. When you love God, faith and hope will follow. When you love God, faith and hope will follow. Some of you today are like, I just need more faith in my situation. If I just believe more, I think good things will happen. Maybe some of you are saying, I need more hope. I'm losing hope here. It just seems like nothing is coming my way. I'm going to challenge you both. If you're feeling that way, focus on loving God. Explains why some of us fail at trusting and hoping in Him. I believe it's because we're not loving Him enough. We're actually working against God and how He has set up for us to succeed spiritually if we don't start by first loving Him. Listen to what John Wesley says. God's goal is that we be made perfect in love, that Christ's love become our love both toward God and others. So reality is when you love God, faith and hope will follow. So how do I invest in love through faith? How do I do it? John, give me the goods. How do I do this? Well, this week, I'm going to challenge you that you take that, that issue in your life that you've been struggling to trust God with, Take it. it might be small. Maybe it's, it's the, the asking God for the right teacher. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's that relationship that's in disrepair. Maybe it's paying the next bill. Say, God, I'm going to not distrust you with this, but I want to express my love for you. I want to express my love. And so what you do is you, you, you trust God for something small first. There's a book that I recently read called Building Dynamic Faith by Jerry Falwell. Excellent book. It, it just, it's a devotional that you can read a few pages each day, and it really increases your faith. But the reason why it increases your faith is because you're drawing close to, to God, you're, and he promises in James that he will draw near to you. And, and that drawing near is really about loving him. And so I challenge you with that. That thing that you say, I need more trust in him, say, how can I love you with this? How can I love you? And all of a sudden, that maybe will push you over to the edge to finally trust him. How do you uh, invest in love through hope? Well, I've been really wrestling through that whole question. And I, I really think it comes down to our desires. Again, our affections. So I'll, I'll put it this way. We need to share your desires with God. We need to share your desires with God. Psalm 37, verses 3 through 5 says this. Because if you understand, hope has a lot to do with our desires. Here's our desires, and I'm, I'm really hoping that they'll come true. In Psalm 37, verses 3 through 5, it says this. Trust in the Lord and do good. So there's the trust part. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. So in other words, experience it. You trust in God, and you're like, okay, I'm going to now just revel in the fact that God's going to bring safety in my situation. Then verse 4. 
Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. I really think if we want to grow in hope, we have to start expressing all of our desires. That person that you're ticked off with, say, God, that's really bugging me. Take it to him. That's what the psalmist does. He's like, avenge me, Lord. Can't you see the injustice of this? If there's a desire that you, you need that job, you need that, that help in that situation, say, God, please, you know my desires. I'm asking that, that I could show love in this regard. I'm going to hand over this again to you out of love. And I know you love me so much. The problem is, as Beth Moore said recently in a simulcast, it says, most people get so fixated on what they want that they won't do what it takes to get it. You know, this, this past week, I, um, I learned some of that, that truth. We, uh, we were supposed to have our phone transfer over from one company to another. And that was supposed to happen on Monday. And uh, the person who was supposed to show up, the technician, for transferring our phone over, um, didn't show up because he wasn't able to call us because the other company had shut off our phone. Does that make sense? And so I called them up and said, uh, hey, we're without phone service, um, there's no technician. They're like, yeah, he was trying to call you. And I'm like, well, the phone was shut off. And so we rescheduled and Thursday came and that, uh, that technician didn't show up. And I call them, and they're like, oh, yeah, we forgot to, to, uh, forgot to register the appointment. I'm like, it's four days without a phone. And um, I, uh, after an hour of being on, on, on the phone with, with this one company, finally, this man by the name of Derek says, I'm so sorry, apologizes, and says, could we, could we please make this up to you, and give you a little bit of a credit for this. And I thought, wow. Here's a person, Derek, not a Christian, but finally could sympathize with our situation. And out of that, I, I realized that as I was at times being frustrated and then trying to practice what I'm preaching here and saying, God, you know, if I just want to love you through this situation. I want to trust you with this. I want to give you hope. Help me to respond in love. Derek came through. God answered my prayer. And so, that's the message for today. When you love God, faith and hope will follow. Let's pray. Father God, help us to to grow in greater love for you. You are so majestic, so amazing. And yet, Lord, we need need you to, to help us with this. You need to help us in those little decisions at work and at school and in our neighborhoods, at the grocery store. How we can respond in love. That's what's going to last. That's what we're going to be measured by. That's actually the mark of a true believer. So Father, help us to do this. We pray. And the one who loved us so much, who demonstrated his love through us through dying on a cross, we thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen. So I might be saying, John, okay, I got it. Um, I need to love God more.
but how's that actually going to translate into being able to love those, those students, those fellow students? And how's that going to be able to translate into to those fellow coworkers and those neighbors and those family members? See, if we start with loving God first, we get the love, His love, flowing through us to others. 1 John 4, 7 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And so if we, we love God, the faith and the hope that we have, we're needed for Him, follow. But so does the love for others. And so the challenge this week is, go after love. Loving God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. See what changes. What could, can you imagine what might happen this week if you loved God in that way? I think your workplace will change. Your attitudes will change. Relationships will change. Schools, business places, everything will change if we love one another. It's changed the world started with Jesus, and is continuing on through you. Let's pray. Father God, help us. Help us to singularly love you. And out of that, Lord, the love for others will flow. Lord, we need that. Help us this, this week, as we think about work, as the, the great provision you've given to us of being able to go and work with our hands and see the fruit of our labor. But we want things that will last. And what lasts is relationships. So Lord, I pray that everyone in this room would love you more. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God's people said, Amen.